Well, good morning. If you would open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 27. We'll continue our study in Matthew by looking in Matthew chapter 27 this morning. <clears throat> before we begin, let's bow before our Lord in prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, <coughs> holy and reverent, is your matchless name. Father, we bow before you in awe and wonder at the majesty of your person, at who you are and in your mercy and grace, what you have purposed for your people, salvation through the sacrifice of your son. And Father, we we're so thankful with human language can't begin to express our thanksgiving for what you have done for your people in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for this opportunity one more time to gather together and hear of our Savior, to worship him. Father, I pray that you give us a spirit this morning of true worship. We pray that you deliver us from just going through the motions of religion. But Father, speak to us by your word and enable us to, from the heart, truly believe and worship the things of our Savior that we hear preached. Well, we pray for ourselves in this hour. Father, we pray especially for our children's classes that you'd bless in those classes in a very special way. We're so thankful for all these little ones that you have given to us. Father, I pray you'd make us faithful to them. Make us faithful to teach them the scriptures and to point them to Christ. Use this time, Father, to plant the seeds of faith in their heart, we pray. Father, for those who are sick and afflicted and going through many various difficulties and trials of this life. Father, we pray for them. We know, Father, that you're able to heal, to, to deliver, to comfort until such time as you are pleased to deliver. Father, we pray you comfort their hearts with your presence. Give them grace sufficient. Now, all these things we ask and we give thanks in that name which is above every name. The name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, I've titled our lesson this morning, The Burial of Christ. And what I want to look at is this. What does the burial of Christ mean to God's people? You know, the death of Christ is vital to our salvation. Now, it's not enough that the Savior only suffer physically and spiritually everything that he suffered. Now, he had to suffer those things in order to redeem his people. But in order to, to redeem his people from their sins, he had to suffer and die. He had to, he had to actually die because the law demands death for sin. That's the penalty of sin is death. And if Christ is going to put the sin of his people away, he must die. And our text this morning tells us that after our Savior gave up the ghost, they took a dead body down from the tree, and they buried it. And that, that is important, that they buried a dead body because the death of Christ has very significant effects upon the souls of his people. And I want to look at some of those effects by the people who were there at the cross and who were responsible for his burial. And the first person I want us to look at is the centurion. He was in charge of the crucifixion, in charge of making sure it happened. He stayed there to the very end to make sure, you know, somebody didn't take the Lord, 
you know, down from the tree and try to save his life. The centurion, we, we learned something very important from him. Now let's begin looking in verse 54 of Matthew 27. Now when the centurion, they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Now it ought to be obvious to anybody watching with an unbiased eye that the one who died on the center cross that day is not a mere man. He's the Son of God. You think about what happened as he was there on, on the cross. As he suffered, God turned the sun off for three hours. Now that wasn't a, a solar eclipse. It was something spectacular. God turned the sun off. When our Lord died, that veil in the temple that had hung there for how many thousands of years, that kept people out of the Holy of Holies, kept people from seeing what was in the Holy of Holies, kept seeing the, the mercy seat and, and the, the Ark of the Covenant, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And nobody was there touching it. God did it supernaturally. In the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his agony, the Savior revealed himself to one of those thieves hanging on either side of him. He revealed himself to that man as king. Because he said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, would you remember me? He revealed himself to Savior, to, as, as the Savior to that dying thief. He told him, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And the promise of that man on the middle cross. To this, while he was in such agony, his visage was marred more than any other man. That man who looked so physically helpless, making that promise, gave peace to the heart of that dying thief. Now you tell me, who besides God could do that? You know, the Jews and those Roman soldiers, because of the inherent hatred of man in our nature, they abused and they tortured the Savior more than anybody they ever crucified. I mean, I don't know how many people that, that Rome crucified during these years, but they tortured him, they beat him, they, his body was, was marred and mangled more than anyone else crucified. Yet they couldn't kill him. I mean, it was their goal to get rid of this man, and they could not get rid of him. He had to give up the ghost. He had to lay down his life for his people. And when he gave up the ghost, there was an earthquake so great, it tore great rocks in two. And people that had been dead arose from the dead and went back to Jerusalem and talked to folks that they knew when they were alive. I mean, this can't be anybody but the Son of God who died. And I'm not trying to prove that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Everybody knows that. Even somebody tries to deny it really knows that. But this is what the centurion concluded after he watched everything that happened. This is the Son of God. <laughs> and what I want us to see is since the Son of God died, there's salvation for God's people. You know, Mark says the same thing that Matthew said. The, the centurion said, this is the Son of God. Truly, this was the Son of God. You know when he said that? After he saw the Savior give up the ghost. After he saw him die. That was the evidence to him. This man is the Son of God. And that's so important because the only way sinners can be saved is if the Lord Jesus is God. He has to have the power of God to save. He has to have the authority of God to save. 
He has to be God to save because our sin's against God. If we would be saved from that sin, if we would be forgiven of that sin, God's the one has got to do it. So this one, he, he is God. He's the one who accomplished our salvation. If you look at Luke chapter 23, here's another reason. It's so important that this one who died, the Lord Jesus, is God. Is only God's righteous. And, a, and we have to have a righteousness. The only one who could put away the sin of his people is God, who is righteous. Look at Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. A righteous man. Now there's no contradiction between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew and Mark say that the centurion said he's the son of God. Luke says he said it's a righteous man. Well, there's no contradiction. Only the Son of God who came in the flesh could be a righteous man. There's, there's none righteous, no other righteous man other than this one. No, not one. So the significance of the death of this righteous man is the salvation of God's people. The only way the Lord Jesus Christ could save his people from their sin and make them the righteousness of God in him is if he is perfectly righteous. If he never did any sin, if he never thought any sin, and the Lord Jesus Christ truly is a righteous man. This centurion drew the correct conclusion. And that's so important because the only way Christ can make his people righteous is if he has no sin of his own. If he has sin of his own, he can't take your sin. He can't take my sin. But if he has no sin of his own, he can take our sin into his body on the tree. He's the sinless sacrifice. If he, if he never sinned, then he's the sinless sacrifice and only a sinless sacrifice has pure blood to shed to pay the sin debt of God's people. And he had to do that. He could only do that when he died. He died in the place of his people. Now Mark tells us that, uh, we'll get to Joseph of Arimathea in just a minute, but Joseph of Arimathea goes to, to Pilate and begs the body of Jesus so he can bury it and Pilate could not believe that the Lord was dead this soon normally it takes days you know for somebody to die so he called the centurion and centurion verified to him Jesus had died the son of God has died the righteous man has died and you know I'd say the centurion's a pretty good witness don't you of what happened there he'd seen all of this go down from its brutal beginning to its brutal end. He saw it all go down. This centurion was there earlier when the whole band of soldiers gathered together to, to mock and have their fun mocking and beating and whipping the Savior. He was there. This man was in charge of that. He saw it. Earlier, he had been one of those ones mocking the Lord Jesus as king. Oh, look at the king. Can that be a king with that old red blanket, you know, around his, his uh, shoulders and his back that had been beaten by that cat of nine tails? 39 lashes with that cat of nine tails. Bits of rock and glass in it. Just as they whipped it, they'd scrape it across his back and tear the skin off of it. Then they put that old dirty blanket on top of that. Crushed a crown of thorns down in his head. Gave him a reed. 
there's a scepter mocking him. Look at the king. This, this man was one of them, mocking him as king. And now, after he's seen the Savior die, he confessed, this is the king. This is the Son of God. And Scripture says he feared. He feared. Now, from what I can gather of this word and the things that we read, it, it doesn't sound like this centurion feared in saving faith. You know, Matthew says he feared greatly. Those that were with him feared greatly. It sounds like they were afraid of judgment because they just realized we tortured and killed the Son of God. We tortured and killed a righteous, innocent man. They were afraid of judgment. It's not that they feared the Lord in faith. But I tell you, I sure hope that changed later on. I sure hope it did. Because this man could tell us this is a righteous man who died. This, this is the Son of God who died. I hope later on he learned what that meant. That if the Son of God has died in my place, I've been made the righteousness of God in him. If, if the, this righteous man died in my place, paying my sin debt, my sin debt's forgiven. And I'm eternally saved. I hope the Lord gave him faith to see that later. Do you think he just went on the rest of his life thinking we killed this, this righteous man, the Son of God, never thought any more about it? I hope he thought about it and found something out about this man. And, and Lord, I hope so. Because he, he, he knew a very important fact here. This is the Son of God. All right, the second group I want us to look at are the women who were there. Look back in our text, Matthew 27, verse 55. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Josie, and the mother of Zebedee's children. Now these women were there at the cross. Now let me say a word about men and women. The Lord has made men the head of the home. And men, it's not, we're not made the head of the home to, to boss the, the wife around and get some free servants, you know, to, to serve us. The Lord has made the husband the head of the home to protect the wife, to love her and provide for her and cherish her, to give up of, of himself for her as Christ, did, as Christ did the church. But now men are to be the heads of the home. That, that's the responsibility that God's given us. And the Lord's given men the responsibility to lead the church, to, to preach and to teach, to, to read the word publicly, to pray publicly, to lead the church. Women are not to do that. The Lord's given that responsibility to men. But now let none of us, men, men or women, ever think that that means women are not an important backbone of the congregation, of this congregation. I'm talking to us now, our men, our women. Don't ever think, men, that our ladies here are not an important important backbone of our church these ladies that the scripture mentions here they've been with the lord from the beginning they've been with him for three and a half years when he started going out from galilee to preach and teach they went with him three and a half years they've been ministering to the lord i guess that means cooking and mending clothes and, and doing those other things that, that women are so good at doing and Almost certainly they ministered those needs to, to the disciples too. Now they weren't preachers, were they? Not at all. But they knew the Lord. They trusted the Lord. And their service was very important. Very important. 
And if you don't think that's so, you just think what this place would be like if it wasn't for our, our faithful women here. And these women who are there at the cross, and they, and, um, where is it? Verse, verse 61. And there is Mary Magdalene and that other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now they weren't there with, um, with Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus wrapping the Lord's body and burying it. But they watched those two men do that and they followed them because they wanted to know where the Lord's body was. They wanted to know where it was so they could come back, you know, after the Sabbath day. These were faithful women. And I want to ask you a question. Remember those 11 disciples who, with Peter, they all said the same thing. Lord, I'll never forsake you. These might forsake you, but I won't. I'll die with you. Where are they now? (laughs) They're not to be seen, are they? (laughs) But these faithful women are there. They stayed there near our Lord when it put their lives at the greatest risk. They They didn't leave him. Two of these women, they're mothers of the disciples and they're devoted to the Lord. Mary Magdalene was particularly devoted to the Lord. You know why she was so devoted to the Savior? Because she's so thankful. She's so thankful. When did our Lord first meet Mary Magdalene? She was possessed of seven demons and the Lord cast them out. And she was so thankful. She was devoted to the Lord. He set her free. And apparently, she was a woman of, of some means, and she used those means in the service of the Lord. He could come to her house anytime. He could stay at her house anytime. You know, the Lord said, I, the birds have nests, the, the foxes have holes, and dens. the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And Mary Magdalene said, you can, you can sleep in my house. You can come have something to eat at my house. You can stay, stay with me. She used those means that she had. She, she couldn't preach. She couldn't teach, could she? She could tell folks about Christ, but she's not going to be a preacher or a teacher like the apostles were. But she used whatever means she had at her disposal to serve the Lord. She did that all her days. Now, the Lord saved these women, just like he saved Peter, James, and John. Just like he saved us, by grace. By grace. Now, these are faithful women, but the Lord didn't save them because they're faithful. He saved them by grace. Just like the, the apostles, the Lord didn't save them because they were going to be preachers. The Lord saved them by His grace. By His grace. Our Lord died so that His people could live. Now that's grace, isn't it? He died in our place so we would not die, but we would live. And that's men and women alike. Those who are strong in faith and those who are weak in faith alike. And that ought to make us, like these women, faithful. To consider that the Lord suffered and died on purpose for me. That ought to make me faithful, shouldn't it? Faithful, faithful to him. All right, here's the third person I want to look at. Joseph of Arimathea, verse 57. And when even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple, And he went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. 
Now look over at John chapter 19. Joseph of Arimathea was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a member of that ruling religious body that sentenced our Lord to death. And Luke tells us when they did that, Joseph did not give consent to that. He did not agree with this thing of putting the Lord Jesus to death. Now look at John 19, verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take the body, take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And then took they the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Now, Joseph, John tells us, believed on Christ. He was a disciple of Christ. Before the crucifixion, before this happened, he believed on Christ. But he kept it secret. He was afraid of the Jews, what the Jews might do to him, how they might excommunicate him and kick him out, you know. And This man's a Pharisee. He's part of the Sanhedrin. This is a lot for him to lose in, in, in his society. So he kept it secret. And it appears that the same thing is true of Nicodemus. Remember, he first came to the Lord by night. Now, he's coming to him in broad daylight for everybody to see. Now, suddenly, these two secret disciples are very bold. They boldly identify with the Lord. They boldly take him down from the cross and care for his body and bury him properly. And they did it at great expense to themselves. I mean, Lennon wasn't cheap. A hundred pound weight of, of these spices, I'm sure that wasn't cheap. They did this at great expense monetarily to themselves and also at great expense to themselves now they couldn't more publicly identify with Jesus than what they're doing right now. What made them not be a secret disciple anymore? They were a secret disciple and now they're not. What changed? What gave them the faith and the grace to boldly identify with Christ, whereas before, they, could, they didn't for fear of the Jews. He was seeing Christ crucified and Him give up the ghost and die. That gave them the faith in Him to commit to Him. And you know, when, when that happened, the Scripture was fulfilled. Remember our Lord, He was talking to the Pharisees. Maybe, maybe Joseph was there that day, I don't know. But remember, the Lord said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all unto me. If you look that up and read it, your Bible will say all men, but you notice that word men is in italics. The Lord didn't say I'll draw all men unto me. He said I'll draw all unto me. Who's the all? All that the Father has given me. All of mine elect. All who I love. All my sheep. I'll draw all unto me. Now how are we going to be drawn to Christ? When we see him lifted up, crucified. Suffering and dying in our place. That scripture is fulfilled. 
Every time we preach Christ crucified, and one of God's sheep is given faith in Him, and they come to Him. We preach Christ crucified, and you who believe for many, many, many years are drawn to Christ again. Peter said, to whom coming? And you find yourself coming to Christ again, believing on Christ again, repenting and turning away from yourself, trusting in yourself to trust Christ again. Every time we preach Christ crucified and God's people are blessed, that scripture is fulfilled. If I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all unto me. That's the way God gives us faith in Christ. Now, we don't see him physically lifted up and crucified, do we? I know Joseph did, Nicodemus did, but many other people did too. That's not salvation, not physically seeing him. It's seeing him with the eyes of faith. And I'm just real sure that's what happened to these two men. They're, they're God's sheep. And Joseph was a rich man. He had his own tomb. You know, they buried people in, in caves and things. Joseph is wealthy enough. He said, I'm going to make me my own cave. You, know, you all burying 100 people in that cave. That's not for me. I'm just going to take this great big old solid piece of rock and carve my own tomb out of it. And that's where I'm going to be buried. He's, this is a rich man. And that tomb was prepared for Joseph. Now, he's still here. He's not been buried yet. Nobody's been buried in that tomb. And that's where they took the Lord and buried him. Now, why is that significant? I mean, you know why? Well, I can tell you why. So that when the Lord arose from the grave, nobody could say that's somebody else. That's not John Smith. We buried him, you know, three or four years ago. John Smith rose from, no. Jesus of Nazareth is the only one buried in that tomb and he came out of it. When man came, it has to be the, the Lord who arose because he's the only one buried there. Now, if you look over Isaiah chapter 53, you know, if the Lord will just give us eyes to see it and, and show us the, the scriptures in here, it is just utterly astounding how exactly everything the Savior did, everything fulfilled the scriptures. Even his burial fulfilled the scriptures. Isaiah 53 verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He made his grave with the rich. Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man, took our Lord's body and buried him in his own tomb. Even the, the, the death of his body and where it was buried fulfilled the scriptures. And I'll tell you why that ought to give the hearts of God's people such comfort such assurance and ought to thrill us so much. Everything the Lord did fulfilled the scriptures. Well, the promise of scripture is this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him and thou shalt be saved. Believe on him. That scripture's fulfilled. There's not a word in this book that is not true. The Lord fulfilled the scriptures to show us how sure the scriptures are. And those same scriptures tell us, now this one who died and was buried and rose again, you trust your soul to him. Don't, don't try to establish your own righteousness. Just rest in him. Just trust him. That'll fulfill the scriptures. That's a promise of scripture that cannot be, be a lie. All right, here's the fourth thing I want us to look at. I want us to look at the self-righteous unbelievers who are there. 
Back in our text, Matthew 27, verse 62. Now the next day, that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, After three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He's risen from the dead, so that the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have your watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now the Pharisees remembered our Lord's promise to rise again the third day. Seems like they remembered it better than the disciples did, didn't they? When Thomas heard that the Lord rose again, he said, no, no, I won't believe it. Even though the other ten said, Thomas, we saw him. Thomas said, I won't believe it. The other ten, when the women came and told them the Lord's arisen, they, they couldn't believe it for astonishment. They just, it's like they forgot the Lord's promise. After three days, I'm going to rise again. And these unbelievers remembered it. Isn't that shameful? Isn't that shameful? But here's comfort for you. Remember this. Salvation is not knowledge. Salvation is not knowledge. It's faith in Christ that receives salvation. It's not knowledge. It's not knowing everything there is to know. It's believing Christ. It's resting in Him. It's trusting Him. And I could just see Pilate. Oh, that day of the Lord's mock trial and His execution. I mean, Pilate tried everything in this world he could think of to set this man free. And he, I mean, Pilate, I thought you're sovereign here. I mean, yeah, I thought you can do anything you want. No, sir. God's sovereign here. I mean, he had to be so frustrated. And his wife saying, Mark, don't you have anything to do with this just man? I had a lot of bad dreams about him. How, how can I get out of this? You know, I'll try washing my hands in front of the people saying, I'm, I'm out of this. Now he thinks, well, at least it's over. And these fellows show up again and said, you know, the, the deceiver says he's going to rise again the third day. And I know Pilate thought he's going <laughs> to. I mean, I know he thought that. He said, boys, you can have your watch. You can have your guards. But I'm telling you, you're fighting a losing battle. I mean, Pilate, I, I just really think he's. I mean, we've just fought a losing battle here. You can have your watch if you want, but he's rising again. <laughs> But the sad thing is, at least as far as Scripture records, even though these men had an idea, they're fighting a losing battle. Never one time does Scripture say they went and begged God for mercy. Not one time. Even when the Lord arose, what did the Pharisees do? They bribed the guards to say, well, we fell asleep, somebody stole his body. They never, they had to know he rose again from the dead. But they didn't know what it meant. When the Lord rose again, here's what it meant. That's the evidence. His suffering, his death, his blood justified his people. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. And they never knew what that meant. They just kept trying to deny God's word. You'd be very cautious about somebody who ever tells you God's word does not mean what it says. What it says. No, God means what he says says what he means. 
Only God, can, the Holy Spirit, can make us see, can make us believe on Christ. And as shameful as we are, He'll do that for all of His people. He's going to reveal to them, Christ died for you, so you can never perish. And He's going to give them faith in Christ. Well, how's that going to happen? We can't, the Holy Spirit will see to it. Just preach Christ. Just keep coming here and Christ preach. The Holy Spirit will see to it to give all of God's people faith in Christ and comfort their hearts with it. Christ died for me so I can never die. All right. I hope the Lord bless that to you.